Well, I have the privilege uh, this morning um, of introducing you, someone else who's going to preach God's word. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor of the church, so I will usually be found up here preaching through uh, our text. But this morning, we get to have uh, one of our elders, our other pastors, uh, preach God's word for you. And uh, Molly mentioned it earlier, we're doing that throughout the month of July. And so we have three other men who are pastors, elders uh, at Phoenix Bible Church. And we want to uh, give them opportunities as they shepherd you to teach you God's word. Uh, one of the qualifications for an elder, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 is where you can find those. But one of them is to be able to teach now, that doesn't necessarily mean preach from a stage like this, uh, but it does mean to teach the gospel and teach the scriptures, and, and we just happen to have three guys who have a desire to do that from a stage like this uh, and also have been equipped by God to do that. And so uh, I've spent the last couple of months with all three of them, just going through their passages. We're still in our series in the Gospel of Mark and just outlining the Gospel of Mark as a whole, but also their specific messages. And I can just tell you they prayed up. Uh, for these messages. They've prepared fully for these messages. They've given these messages already to a couple of us. And so they've just put a lot of work into this to see the glory of Christ proclaimed through his word. So that's one reason why I'm excited that they're doing this. A second reason is we're doing a series that we've never done before in the fall on marriage and relationships. And it's going to be extensive. It's going to be 10 weeks long, uh, covering anything from sex to friendship to parenting, uh, the full gamut. And so I'm so excited about that. And this is giving me some time to prep for that and write a study guide for that. And so be looking for that as we approach the fall and get through the summer uh, as we go here. But I'm so excited today. Uh, Graham Saunders is going to bring God's word to you. Uh, Graham leads our community groups. He's one of our elders here. He also is banging away on the drums from time to time and the guitar. Renaissance man. So so talented. And uh, his wife, Savannah, they're some of our best friends. We love you guys so much. Winston, who's sleeping over there, maybe his dad will wake him up because he preaches so well. Um, but so I'm so excited uh, for you to hear from Graham. Would you just welcome him up? Would you give him a warm clap as he comes up here? Well, good morning, Phoenix Bible Church. Um, as Tim said, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, my name is Graham, and I'm so excited uh, to be bringing you all the message today. Um, but before we jump into that, I feel like there's just one thing that I have to kind of uh, clarify from last week. Uh, last week, Bradley Hyde spoke, and Bradley is, he's one of my, my best friends in the whole world, and I think he will be for um, my whole life. But he said um, something along the lines of, when we got these passages and got to pick out which one that we wanted to teach, uh, he said Graham responded within like five minutes and picked the easiest passage. And so first off, uh, low blow, dude, because I wasn't even here. I was visiting my 85-year-old grandma, and he's just taking jabs at me. But uh, second, it was, it was not within five minutes. I don't, I don't check my email every five minutes. I check it about every six minutes. And so um, that's not totally true. And so I kind of feel like, kind of feel like you need to take that up with God a little bit, kind of the, the lie. No, but anyways, uh, a little bit about myself. Um, my wife, Savannah, and I have been married for five years, just crazy how, how um, fast time goes. Uh, and we have one son named Winston. He's 10 months old. He's sleeping right now. Um, and he's absolutely just adorable. He's been such a joy to have. Uh, and it's been so fun this past year, kind of trying to learn how to be parents, 
Um, and honestly thinking like, who in the world let us take a baby home from a hospital? Because we really don't know what we're doing. Uh, but it's been so fun. Um, as Tim said, we're going to be in Mark today. And we've been going through this for almost a year. And uh, at this point in Mark, um, we're in Jesus's last days. Really, the, the first uh, 11 or so chapters are three years of Jesus' ministry, and these last couple chapters are his last days. And in his last days, we get some of his most critical teachings. So as we just read, we're in Mark 12. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. Now, at first, that might not seem like a big deal. But you see, throughout the Bible, throughout all of Scripture, there are 613 commandments. And yet Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment. It's a big deal, right? Well, when you think about the greatest, the, the, the greatest of all time, what is it that you think about? I mean, uh, maybe you're into music, and so you think about the greatest pop artist of all time, Michael Jackson. Or maybe you're into sports, so you think about the greatest boxer of all time, Muhammad Ali. Or maybe you, you like basketball, so you think about the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. And if you're thinking LeBron, that's okay. Jesus probably still loves you, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Or maybe you think about the greatest football player of all time, Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure we all agree completely there. Just keep going. But you see, um, whatever it is that comes to your mind when you think about the greatest, we know that this is the greatest commandment. We know that it's a big deal. It's something that we should take note of because in all of, all of the Bible, all 613 commandments come down to this, that, that we love God and that we love people. It all boils down to love. But love can be uh, a little bit confusing, right? Right? Um, if any of you have dated, if any of you are married, if any of you honestly just have parents, uh, love can be a little bit confusing. I've seen this in my marriage. Um, it's been really good. I've seen uh, how selfish I can be and how often I need to repent of that. Um, I've seen how stubborn I can be. Amen. Um, I've also seen through many, many long, drawn-out talks that um, apparently I leave my socks all over the house and it drives my wife crazy. Love can be confusing, right? But it's, it's not just uh, relational love that can be confusing, right? People are messy, it can be confusing. Even the word love is confusing, right? It, it can have different meanings. Um, for instance, I often say that I love chicken wings. I mean, honestly, if, if we're good friends, you know this. Um, if we've hung out one time, there's a decent chance that the topic of chicken wings has come up. But at the same time, I also tell my son Winston that I love him. And those two things, they mean completely different things. So, so what does it mean when God tells us to love him? What does it mean when, when he tells us to love other people? What does that look like? And so that's what I want to pull apart today both the, the vertical love for God and also the horizontal love for our neighbors. So Mark 12, 29, uh, as Tim just read, it says the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, we should love God with everything. We should love him with our actions. We should love him with our money. We should love him with our time. We should love him in in all that we do and all that we are. Now, can we be honest just for one second? Um, When I hear this, that I am supposed to love God with everything, with every part of my life, I think if if that's the qualification for being a Christian, if if that's the way that I earn his love, I fail. But the good news is that this is not a a one-sided fight, that we don't just muster up the strength to love God because we're we're a good person. No, the Bible tells us something uh, very different. It says that we love him because he first loved us that we don't earn his love through religious duties, through practices, through being a good person. Instead, we do it because he loved us. We've seen this in the Gospel of Mark. Um, We've seen 11 chapters of Jesus loving people, healing them, talking with them, pouring out to them. And only now, 11 chapters later, he's saying, hey, this is the greatest commandment, that you love me that you love people. As 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Do you see that? That before we can begin to talk about how we love God, we must first see just how much he loves us. And spoiler alert, it's a lot. Now, if I had to take a poll in the room, and ask what the greatest acts of love were in all of history. The greatest, most heroic acts of love. I think we'd pretty much all unanimously agree that the greatest acts of love were times when people sacrificed themselves for someone else. Times where people laid down their life for someone else. And the Bible also tells us this. Uh, in John 15, 13, Jesus says that greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. So when we talk about love, the greatest act of love is selflessly laying down your life for someone else. Uh, Maximilian Kolbe, I think, is a great example of this. Uh, During World War II, Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish friar, which is kind of similar to a monk. And during the war, him and his church helped shelter people, helped shelter refugees, and helped care for them. And well, um, eventually the Nazis caught on. They found out. And they came and they arrested Maximilian Kolbe. And as punishment, they sent him to Auschwitz. Now while he was there, um, three men escaped the camp. And in in order to prevent uh, anyone else from escaping or wanting to escape, the SS commander ordered 10 men to be starved to death. Now, Maximilian Kolbe, he was not one of the 10 men chosen, but he overheard one of the men say, I have a wife, and I have a family, like, have mercy on me. Maximilian Kolbe, hearing this, he went to the SS commander, and he said, or he asked if he could take his place. The SS commander agreed, and Maximilian Kolbe was sent to starve with these other men. You see, Kolbe showed a selfless, sacrificial love in taking that man's place. Now let's just pause for a second. What do you, 
What do you think that man that was saved from death felt like? Let that sink in. What do you think you would feel if you were chosen for death and someone stepped in and took your place? How thankful do you think you would be every single time you woke up? How thankful do you think you would be every time you saw your family's faces? I think the danger is that um, sometimes we may be so used to hearing the story of Jesus' love and his sacrifice on the cross that we start to become a little bit numb to it. That, that we talk about it flippantly without realizing the full weight behind it. But what Colbe did for that man, Jesus has done for us. See, we were headed for eternity in hell, eternal punishment, and Jesus stepped in and saved us. He sacrificed his life for us on a cross so that we may live. That's how much he loves us. And even amidst our sin, even amidst our doubts, he loves us. You know, Christ did not die for good people, people that have their lives completely together. Um, I don't believe that really exists, that we're all messy people. He died for us. You know, I am not worthy of Christ's love. There, there is nothing in my life that I have done that would earn this kind of love. But he loves me fully. Even amidst your sin and your doubt, today he loves you fully. Can you really grasp that kind of love? I know, I know it's difficult for me to wrap my head around the way that Jesus really loves me. I mean, he loves a sinner like me. Like, he loves a broken man like me. Even, even when I feel most undeserving, he loves me. And it's true, he does. Even amidst all of that today, he loves you. And the, the crazy thing is, is that he doesn't tell us to try to clean ourselves up, to try to make ourselves more presentable. He doesn't say, do that, and then I'll love you. He loves us as we are. You see, he wants to be the one that takes our hearts and transforms them. He wants to be the one that takes it, transforms them, makes it more beautiful, makes it more like him who is the perfect image of joy and peace and love. You see, God meets us in our mess, right? But he loves us way too much, way too much to leave us there. He meets us in our mess, but he loves us way too much to leave us there. You see, in God's love for us, he wants what's best for us. And what's best for us, despite what we may think, even if we kind of like some of our sin, even if we kind of like some of our mess, he wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is not leaving us in our sin. It's taking our hearts, it's transforming them, it's reorienting our desires. So the question is, how do we love the Lord with all our hearts? Well, first, we need to remember just how much he loves us, just how much we need his grace. We need to remember that, make that something that, that we dwell on. But what is our response to that love? What, what does that look like? Right? If we realize that, what does that look like? 
And for that, I think we can go back to John 15, 13. That says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, typically when we hear this, we think of Jesus. We think of the, the sacrifice that Kolbe did for that man. But what if we also applied this to ourselves? What if we said the way we love God with everything is by laying down everything, by surrendering everything to him? What if the way that we love God is surrendering everything to him, surrendering our hearts to him and saying, Lord, take my heart and make it more like you. Give me a heart of, of love for you, a heart of generosity. Lord, take those things that sin, transform it. What if we say, Lord, I surrender my mind to you. God, you know, you know my sinful thoughts. You know when I think hatefully towards someone else. You know when I am prone to being selfish, I surrender it to you. What if we surrendered our souls to him and our strength and say, God, use my strength, my, my passion, my gifts. Use them. I give them to you. I want to serve you with them. How do you need to surrender this morning? Well, what area of your life have you been unwilling to give to God? Maybe, maybe it is sin. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's selfishness with your time. And you say, God, I, I love you. I want to serve you. Just not really with all my time. I, I kind of like me time. What if you surrendered that this morning? You see, once we see how much he, he loves us, how much he sacrificed for us, it should be our joy to serve him. Much like that man that Colbe saved that I think would wake up just so thankful and grateful so should we wake up thankful and grateful that we get to serve him. Which leads us to our next point, which is that another way that we love God is by loving others. Uh, Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, these two things, they go hand in hand. We can't separate them. We can't love God and not love people. Uh, John Piper, uh, pastor and theologian, um, last year I said he's kind of the, the Christian version of Yoda. Um, he says that we best love people when we love God best. So what does that look like to love people? What does that look like to love your neighbor? But I would imagine that if you have a, a great neighbor, it's pretty easy to love them, right? But what if you have a neighbor that's not easy to love? What if you have a neighbor like one of Savannah and I's first neighbors? You see, we had just bought our very first home, and we were so excited to move in. I mean, thrilled. We're going to move in. We're going to be in a neighborhood. We can meet people. This is going to be awesome. So the day comes that uh, we're moving all of our stuff into the house, and one of the neighbors comes over to meet us. And it turns out it's a young couple, not much older than us. And they say, hey, uh, we're actually going to the park right now to hang out with friends and to drink craft beer. You guys should come with us. And we think, this is awesome. Like, we're, we're in a neighborhood. We're going to have friends. Um, you know, we can hang out. We can do game nights. We can do movie nights. Our kids can hang out. This is going to be so cool. Well, then a, a few weeks pass, and that's when we really realize 
that they have a dog. So they're, they're gone for the night. And we realize that they have a dog. And not just any dog, they have a big dog. A big dog that likes to bark a lot. So they're gone. The dog starts barking. And then 6 p.m. comes around. They're not home. Yeah, whatever, it's dinner time. 8 p.m. comes around, not home. 10 p.m. comes around, not home, trying to go to sleep. This dog's barking like crazy. 12 a.m. comes around, they're still not home. So after the first night, we go, you know what, that, that sucked. I don't know if I can say that, but it did. But we don't want to make it weird. You know, we don't want to offend them. So we're just going to let it slide. Well, then this keeps happening. 6 p.m. comes around, they're gone. 8 p.m., 10 p.m., 12 a.m., they're not home and their dog is barking a lot. So eventually, I have a brilliant idea that I'm gonna write a letter, an anonymous letter. We don't have to talk about that part. (laughs) But I'm gonna write a letter and just say, hey, would you please keep your dog in the house when you're gone? And part of me thought they would see this and go, oh man, like we didn't realize that our big dog that we left home all night by itself outside would bark a lot. And then we could just go back to being friends and it'd all be good. So then a few days pass and I see them coming home from work. So I go out to meet him and I say, hey, uh, I just, I wanna let you know, um, your dog's been keeping us up at night and we'd really appreciate it if you just put him inside. And that's when you see her, her facial expressions kind of change. And she goes, oh, what? You're going to write another letter? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. She was so mad at us for writing this letter. And from that moment on, things got a little weird. It got, it got a little bit difficult to love them. Right? It got a little bit messy. People are hard to love. The reality of this, too, is that um, in our culture today, when things get messy, when people get messy, people want to jump ship too soon. Um, You see this in a study of millennials, roughly ages 22 to 37, uh, where it says that they switch jobs every two years. You see, in our culture, there's this growing thing that when it gets messy, when people get hard to love, you're out. When, when a job gets difficult, you're out. When a friendship gets messy, you go find new friends. And especially when a church gets messy, you are out. When you have a disagreement with someone, when, when you disagree with uh, maybe a secondary thing in the church, when you don't like the music, when people get messy, we are out. And the, the problem is, is that God uses these things to grow us. That we grow when we, when we deal with these things, that we grow, he teaches us how to deal with these messy situations. And even as we talk about this, you might be thinking, yeah, I love my neighbors. You know, I have good friends. I love my family. I love my church. But what about those neighbors that aren't easy to love in your life? Um, you know, and it should be said, this is not just literally your neighbor. In our case, this was one of our neighbors. This is everybody around you. This, this could be the neighbor that leaves their dog out. 
Uh, this could be a family member, the black sheep family member that, that you just haven't gotten along with since you were kids. Uh, it could be a friend that uh, you were close to and that you had an argument with about politics on Facebook. And to this day, you've just been too prideful to go and reconcile with them. In fact, the, the person that could be hard for you to love, that messy person, could be in this room and you just don't see eye to eye with them. These are all your neighbors. These are all people that we need to love. And the truth is, is that this commandment of love and hospitality towards our, our neighbors, towards those people around us, is becoming more and more imperative in a culture with growing hostility and growing polarization. But if we practice love, if we practice love to all those people around us, I think that'll start to mend this gap. If we show them the love of Christ, it'll start to mend this gap. As we say at PBC, we want to be a church that engages culture and upholds truth. Now, sometimes um, I think this can seem a bit like an oxymoron, right? Like, how do I love someone that I fundamentally disagree with? How do I love um, someone who's a Muslim? and they worship another God? How, how do I love that, that family member that's an atheist and doesn't believe in any God? You know, maybe for you it's, it's how do I love the left-wing individual? Or how do I love the right-wing individual? You see, loving people does not mean that we don't disagree with them. Dis disagreeing with people, that doesn't mean you hate them. You see, if we love, doesn't mean we don't disagree. And if we agree with them, doesn't necessarily mean that we love them. Penn Jillette, um, a famous magician, very outspoken atheist, he has books on atheism, he talks about this. And he says that he has no respect for Christians that don't share what they believe with him because they're afraid that they might offend him. They're, they're afraid that they might make it awkward. He says something along the lines of, what good is it if someone believes I'm running towards a cliff and does nothing to stop me? In other words, how much do you hate me if you believe truly that I am running towards an eternity in hell? How much do you hate me to not try to stop me, to not, to not try to pull me aside and have a conversation Disagreeing doesn't mean that we hate people. Sometimes disagreeing, it means that we love people enough to disagree. Yeah, how often do we do that? How often are, are we afraid to disagree with a family member? So we kind of just avoid it. We don't want to make it awkward. How often are we afraid to say something to a coworker, to have a conversation with them or a friend because we don't want to offend them? We don't want to make it awkward. See, sometimes love, it's not, it's not cheering someone on. Sometimes love, it's, it's not embracing what they're doing. It's trying to stop them and lovingly say, hey, I think that you are running towards a cliff and I love you way too much to not stop and talk with you. I know if, if I'm being honest, I need to do this a lot more. 
I would think that most of you need to as well. Um, I get terrified. I mean, my palms will get sweaty thinking about asking a coworker to church. But this is something that Jesus is calling us to. This is part of the greatest commandment. This could mean that you need to talk to a close friend, a friend that is not loving his wife well. Say, hey man, because I love you, I think your, your selfishness, you being demanding, I think you're running towards a cliff and I wanna stop and talk with you. Now it will make it awkward, but it's what we're called to. And it's not something that's easy, but as we said earlier, Christ paid a high price for us. We need to remember that. In that, we need to surrender everything to him. And in surrendering to him, it means obeying him. And obeying him is obeying this commandment of love towards one another. Uh, a sidebar on this, kind of as I wrote this, I thought I should probably throw this in. This does not mean that we have permission to just go guns a-blazing on Facebook. Right? Um, Ephesians 4 tells us that we should tie truth with love. We see this in uh, Jesus' interactions with people throughout the Gospel of Mark. Right? He, he always speaks truth, but he does it with love. We see that at the uh, woman at the well. So when we disagree with people, when we love them enough to disagree, we need to be gracious. We need to do it out of a heart of love. And if we love our neighbors well, if we love people like we're called to, people will notice. They'll want to listen. Um, David Hume, uh, a philosopher, an atheist, uh, once said that he was going to see this famous preacher preach. And a little confused, his friends asked him and said, hey, David, um, why would you go see this preacher preach if you don't believe a single word he says? And he said, you're right, I don't believe a word he says. But he does. You see, if we love people well, people will notice. They'll want to listen. It's said that people will come for miles and miles to watch us burn. We need to have this passion. If we want to begin mending the gap of polarization in our culture, it's going to start with us loving people well. Loving them enough to disagree with them in truth and kindness. Lastly, First uh, John 4 tells us that we can't love God and hate our neighbor. That that's just not possible. Um, I, I hear people say this uh, fairly often that, you know, I love God, I just don't like his church. Maybe this is something you've said, you've, you've heard people say, like, I, I like Jesus, I like most of his teachings, I just hate Christians. You heard that? Well, the Bible tells us that's not possible, that, that you can't separate loving God and loving your neighbor. Uh, Tim shared an example like this once, and I loved it, but he said, that's like saying, hey, Graham, um, man, I think you're a pretty cool guy. We should go get chicken wings sometime. You know, it'd be, it'd be fun to get to know you. I like you. Uh, but when, when we go, please don't bring your son, Winston. I can't stand that kid. I hate that kid. Now, if you said that to me, I would probably want to punch you in the face. And depending on the day, um, I 
probably wouldn't, but I would definitely be thinking about how good that would feel. See, loving our neighbors, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. All 613 commandments come down to these two things. Love Jesus, love our neighbors. What this means too is that there may be some neighbors that you need to reconcile with. Matthew 5, 23 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. In other words, if you go to worship God, if you're serving God, but you know that there are people in your life that you're harboring bitterness towards, hostility, that you haven't forgiven, it says that we need to go and be reconciled with them. Who do you need to reconcile with this morning? Who's that person that you've just been harboring bitterness towards that you need to forgive? It might be a family member that wronged you, you just avoid them now. It might be a friend that, that you guys had an argument and you never, you never came and reconciled. It could be someone sitting in this room. It could be someone sitting in another church that, that you just left because things got messy. We need to reconcile with those people. Now to close, I have three questions for each of us. Um, if you take notes, I would encourage you to write these down and uh, spend time at some point this week answering them for yourself. Um, whether that's in the morning, if that's at night, doesn't matter. Answer these for yourself. First, who are you harboring bitterness towards that you need to forgive or reconcile with? I would imagine that as we talk about this, there might have been some people that popped in your head and that you dismissed immediately. Like, hmm, not that person. Who's that Who's that person that you need to forgive? Um, I would encourage you that, that if there is that person, to send them a text after church and say, hey, can, can we talk at some point this week? Don't let that hold you up. Don't let that build up. Don't hold on to that. Reconcile with them. The second is, how do you need to love your neighbor today? Now, this might be someone that you don't necessarily have a problem with, you just see them running towards a cliff and you've been afraid of, of offending them, afraid of making things awkward and you know that you need to sit down and have a conversation with them. You know that you need to show them the love of Christ and talk with them. Who's that person? Last question is, what step do you need to take in loving God today? Maybe that's something that you've just been um, you haven't really fully surrendered to Christ. There are parts of your life, maybe sin, maybe some selfishness that you've just kind of held on to and that, that, that's holding you back from really surrendering to Christ. How do you need to surrender? Or maybe that's remembering his love for you. Maybe you need to, to remember his love each morning. You need to remember the grace that he has given you that you're still a sinful and messy person, but that he loves you and he wants to meet you there. Now today, uh, we're gonna be doing communion.
which is a time where, where we do just that, where we remember and reflect on God's amazing love and amazing sacrifice for us. So as we do that, people come down the center aisles and then go back around the sides of their seats. But as we do that, take some time to, to pray and reflect and consider just how much he loves you. Now we would ask if, um, if you're not a believer, that this be for those that follow Jesus, those that call Jesus their Lord and Savior. But if you're not a believer, we would love to talk to you. Um, you can come talk to Pastor Tim, myself, uh, Bradley. Um, but yeah, as we do that, remember, reflect, think about it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the way that you love us. Lord, it's, it's amazing. It's so hard to wrap our minds around just how much you love us. God, that you love us even when we are in our mess. You love us, God, even when we feel most undeserving. Lord, I pray that we would remember that. That out of that, God, that we would willingly, with joy, surrender to you. Um, Lord, and that we may also um, love our neighbors and love them well. God, love them with passion. Love them enough to disagree with them and do it in truth and kindness. And that, Lord, as we do this, people would see your love. Thank you, Lord. Amen.